Welcome. You've made it tough shit. Podcast that puts your first world problems into perspective. We're your hosts. I am Corey. And I'm your daddy. Are you my daddy? I'm your daddy. What's your, what's your name, daddy? Um, no, we're not his <laughs> name. You gotta have a name. I had a whole thing planned because this is the Father's Day episode. Yeah. I had a thing that I was gonna do off the top called Ask Your Daddy. Then I was mm-hmm. gonna be the podcast's daddy. And then you could ask me questions like you're my son. But I didn't write any of them down. Yeah, leather daddy. I'm so. Chris, and I'm not a leather daddy. Yeah, yeah. But okay. we will get into some BDSM today. I can promise you that. Oh, excellent. So, yeah, great. You have made it to tough shit. Um, After dark. I thought about that on the way over because it's nighttime that we're recording this. Yeah, this so, is kind of non-typical for us. We're recording later than usual. So if like our demeanor seems a little different, you know, like those like like the FM shows. Like, um, okay, I don't actually know any of them, but let's say this is Pop One Hundred Two Point Eight After Dark, and it's all like sex sensual, songs, yeah, sex songs. Mm-hmm. So there could be tough shit after dark. There is some very after dark things in my story. Oh, yeah? Yeah. There's some, like I said, some okay. BDSM. Oh, that's great. So, yes. yeah, anyway, yeah, you have made it to the show. Um, off the top, get things out of the way. If you want to see more of us, we have an Instagram, at TS Podcast Official. Uh, we've been giving away some T-shirts over there, and we post a picture for every episode we upload, usually. I have no idea for today's picture, and you guys will see what it is when it shows up. <laughs> right, am I going to be in it? I don't know, maybe. God, I, I hope not. I am a far. sticky mess. It is oh, 90 degrees it's outside gross. still. And it's I'm very, very warm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I brought over a non-alcoholic beer because I'm out of seltzer water, and I'm, but I'm hot. Now yeah, that slugger that shotgun it. Just shotgun it. I feel like beer. if you're drinking a non-alcoholic beer and somebody sees you drinking it, they automatically assume that you have a problem. You're and an alcoholic? You're doing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it, I just, somebody turned me on to them. They're not some, bad. No. Sometimes it's nice to play video games in the afternoon. And I'm used to just drinking beer when we're doing that, but mm-hmm. that's irresponsible. So I bought some of these, but I ran out of seltzer water. So this is all I have. Okay. Want to listen to me then, open it. Then you still, uh, you still took a seltzer water from me, though. Shh. Oh, that's great. There it is. What kind is that? Um, it's a all out extra dark. Okay. Oh, you're going all in on all out darkness. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or Apple or Pandora. Please be kind enough to leave a review or a five-star rating. That would be awesome. Or whatever you want to rate us. Yeah, I caught you there. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, you were going to call me out, weren't you? Yes. Um, Please consider supporting us directly through the anchor.fm link in our show notes. Helps out the show. Um, Shout out to Brie Arlene, Sarah M, Kathy M, and Sarah J, our supporters so far. Still just five of them. I was just going to say, I haven't checked it in a little while, so if someone new started and I didn't mention you, I apologize. I'll get you in the next one. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Yes, thank you. Um, Please consider buying a shirt or hoodie from Studio4East.com. You could head to the online store section where you will find our merch. If you do order, please be patient. They are a small outfit, and they wait till there's a large enough order to do a run of shirts. So on that, I was going to surprise you with this, and it's not much of a surprise. Uh, if you do want a shirt, I suggest you order one soon because we're going to be shutting the store down in the very near future. What do you mean shutting the store down? Yeah, we're going to be shutting it down. What do you mean? The online store. Why? If people want a hoodie, they're gonna. if you want a t-shirt or a hoodie, I suggest you get it ASAP. 
Why, they're shutting down. No, they're not shutting down. We're shutting down our section on their online store. Oh, okay. So you will not be able to get Tough Shit the Podcast merchandise. Is this the surprise? This is one of them. Well, okay. it's not really a surprise, but you didn't know this was coming. No, did I didn't. I know. How do you feel about that? I don't know because I don't know whether does that mean that they don't want us or we have another outlet? No, no, none of that. Okay. This is just, uh, I have reasons. Okay. But- Merchandise is not going to be going away forever. It's just going to be intermittent. Okay. Okay. I'm as confused maybe, as the listeners. <laughs> maybe there's different designs coming in the future. Oh, okay. Maybe. I see. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, if you do want some merchandise, I suggest you get it. Uh, I think we're going to start doing that in uh, limited shots. So, yes, check it out, studio4east.com. Also, we are compiling questions at our new email address, which is toughshitthepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, please send us your questions, whatever it is. We want to do a full uh, Q&A episode someday. As of now, we still have the one from I know wife. who it was. It was Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> and most of all, please just share the show. It's free. So, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Also, uh, this episode, uh, I know you and I had talked about it off air, but we're going to be taking a step back, kind of. Uh, we want to get back to the roots of the show and focus on actual main stories for a little while. Uh, maybe indefinitely. I don't know yet. But for now, definitely this summer. But definitely not root quality of the show. Yeah, and well, anybody who's new who's listening is like, would you guys get to the fucking point? Like, was this is better than it used to be? Like, yeah. Substantially. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we want to produce quality over quantity. So ideally going ahead, we're going to only be doing one episode a month, which would be the main story, the main show. At least until winter. Yes. Um, but if if they are going to be a little longer with more detail and longer stories. So you're going to be getting more of it. Uh, just you're not, you won't be getting more filler shows and whatever else we got going. Uh, a lot of times both of us talk about how we cut so much out of our main stories for the sake of time. And we would love to share more of the actual hardships of the past with everyone. So I think doing a better quality, longer form uh, show will be cool. So that's my thoughts on that. Also, we're going to turn on ads. I know we feel that. Oh, fucking shoe. Uh-huh. <laughs> I want all you to know that I told them don't do it. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> you said, okay. I want money. Uh-huh. I want it now. Well, yeah, I hate to tell you. But so what is getting to that? Yeah, we want to do this in hopes that it will spread the show in Spotify's algorithm, uh, thus getting it more exposure. I think the money you make from ads run through our hosting site, it's kind of negligible unless you have like a million people. But uh, we get to do them ourselves, like, right? Like yeah. we can personalize them? Yeah, I believe we can. So if you hear ads in this episode, then awesome. If not... That we then haven't gotten to it we yet. We haven't gotten to it yet. So Hey, we're going to make it fun. Yeah, either way. But yeah, what we want to do with that is also is we don't want, what we don't want to do is bombard you with ads. One, maybe two an episode, nothing crazy. Because sometimes you listen to podcasts and you get six ads that are just in an hour podcast, the same thing, and it's annoying and it's horrible. So, But we want to just keep it tasteful. So that's it off the top of the show. As Chris alluded earlier, this is the dad's episode. The alluded? Alluded? Alluded. 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 Your fucking brain is diluted if you can't say alluded. Alluded. 
It's alluded. What did I say? Alluded? I didn't know. No, you said eluded. Eluded. Alluded. Yeah, with an A. What the fuck? I don't know. This is after dark bullshit. This you is got, the grammar police. Hey, this is not my doing, I'll have you know. I'm going to put you in jail and watch you drop the soap. Mm-hmm. The bar of soap you forgot to take on and vacation. And that you can't spell. Oh, yeah. That's why you're late to the show and we're doing it at night. I'm a wreck. <laughs> We went to visit some friends last night, and Mandy made me, like, she, oh, this is great. she hesitated as we went to bed. She used the bathroom first, and we went into the guest bedroom, and she said, and you could see the hesitation in her eyes when she told me that my face wash was not in the bag, which is a big deal, because there's been this thing happening on my nose for the last two days. Corey can probably see part of what I oh, took yeah. care of earlier. <clears throat> so I had no face wash. I had no mask at, for my night mask. You've been having a rough go with it. And then I didn't have any bar soap. Yeah. So I used most of a bottle of body wash, which I know you're not supposed to do, but mm-hmm. it's, that's how much I needed to get a lather on this skin. Because <laughs> it, it just sloughs off. Wait, you had no washcloth or anything? I don't like washcloths. Well, the bacteria you, So if you have traps. body wash, you need a washcloth and or a latherer. Just no, putting it so. in your hand as gel is going to goop off your body. Yeah, it did. That's exactly what it did. I think even there's directions on it that says to do that. Who fucking needs directions on body wash? You, apparently. Well, either way, it didn't work. <laughs> So okay. I just I'm back to my bar soap. Oh, I did I put God. a mask on before. Anyway, I came over. we are on the father's episode. <clears throat> uh, Can we call yeah. it bad dads? We could, yeah. Fathers, dads, papas, whatever you say. Um, or happy Father's Day. Yeah, we just don't don't say don't call it fathers. Call it dads. No, call it bad dads. Bad dads. Bad dads. Okay. Well, we all got one, whether you like it or not. So yeah. I don't have a bad dad. Everyone not a everyone has a dad. Okay. Everyone living at some point has has someone that helped make them. Are you alluding to me having a bad dad? <laughs> no, no. Okay, so the definition, I don't remember what one I got this from, but it is a male parent. Oh, you're still doing the definition. Pretty straightforward if you don't know what a fucking father is. I don't know, maybe know- there's a four-year-old listening to this show, which they shouldn't be. Um, there's, there's, there's a difference between a father and a dad. Isn't that a thing? Isn't that a stuff that like- somebody says? I heard the well, I anybody can be a father, but it yeah. takes someone really special to be a dad, right? Tonight on Disney, seven o'clock. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, so complaints. We talk about the first world complaints and the how rough it is in the first world. So some dads they might be embarrassing. You know, they'll wear goofy outfits or say corny things around the kids, and you know, pick on them or whatever. Or there's always the. Uh, the angsty teen angle of, oh, my dad's the worst. He's so strict, blah, 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 when really they're just being a responsible parent. But so, yeah, I would say in the first world that would be a dad complaint, complaint about fathers uh, in did, the my, first world. My dad wears socks with sandals. See? so And that always embarrassed me, but now I do the exact same thing. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so on that, on the note of like – uh dads and all that do you have a personal story like a bad dad story no just like about your dad like a first world complaint story about your dad nope. like he wasn't embarrassed he didn't embarrass no you. i mean not i i'm not because my dad this is gonna like now i'm gloating because i know there's people out there bad mm-hmm. like truly do have bad dads yes um yeah. and i personally know people who do have horrible fathers oh yeah and but, that's why i'm trying to keep it in the the first world life <laughs> for the people who complain i have no complaints against my father Seriously, Nothing. he's fantastic. Growing no. up, like, no, I, I mean, he was cheesy. He still is. Yeah, but he, oh, yeah he's yeah. got a great. But he still has a sense of humor. Got some corny jokes. And he, my dad, he, he's like, he, he will like whatever I need help, and I need help a lot because I'm a fucking inept, except for a few <laughs> things. I'm like an idiot savant. He will show right up. 
Like I spent Father's Day playing frisbee golf with my dad, mm-hmm. not because I wanted to, or because I wanted, like, not because he wanted me to, but because I wanted to play fucking frisbee golf. I know it's called disc golf. Send a fucking email about it. But yeah. no, I have no complaints about my father. My dad listens to this show mm-hmm. every fucking time, even the ones where like. We couldn't record right, and all I did was talk about how much I don't poop on my hands. And he still, <laughs> when I go over there, he'll still say like how proud he is of me. So no, Aww. I don't have any complaints about my father. Oh well, that's very, that's very. And that's sweet. Gonna sound like I'm kissing ass, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying. Yeah. No, I'm good. You, you he does end, wear. <laughs> you end that whole little tangent with, uh, Dad. Could I get uh, fifty bucks from? You? <laughs> No, God, no, no. We're both too frugal uh, yeah. <laughs> to pass money back and forth. Yeah, I, I agree. No, the, the socks uh-huh. thing always bothered me, but now I totally get it. Yeah, as long as you do it, as long as you're not in wet grass, it's perfectly acceptable to wear yeah. socks with sandals. That's and, uh, yeah. That's I think that's safe. just an age thing, as far as you really kind of quit giving a shit what you look like once you get past thirty, for sure. What do you mean? I look really. I don't know. I don't know. We both look like a couple of fucking squares right now. I kind of look like a dad. You when see? we're dressed in. Yeah. Hey, and by the way, real quick. Okay. Real quick. I just wonder if you notice a difference in me, my demeanor, my tone, it's because I'm a Frisbee golf guy now. Oh, yeah. And so I'm trying That's... to take on this persona of like super fucking chill. Uh-huh. Like I'm going to start clipping my keys to my belt. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing a backpack more often, even though I don't really need it. Yeah. And so I'm just telling everybody that now I play Frisbee golf. So... If I don't hear you right away, if you say something to me, it's because I'm thinking about frisbee golf. That's a thing. That's a uh, like a stereotype of frisbee golfers. That's one that I'm taking on. I don't know if it's you're me. embracing it, whether yeah. it's part of it or not. I don't know if it is or not. <laughs> I'm trying anything that's going to help me r- uh, relax a little bit. Hey, whatever, whatever it takes. And it's a very dad thing to do is play disc golf. I agree. Yeah. Uh, There's okay. my story. Okay, that's nice. That was very nice. Yeah, sweet. Uh, my personal story, I guess, uh, growing up, my dad would get up super early. He was always like so proud of getting up like really early. What do you think? Your mic's not on. I'm always terrified that it's not. It's on though, right? It's definitely. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm like, what the hell? Did you turn it off? No. All right. I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> okay. So growing up, my dad would get up super early. Uh, he'd always get up like ass crack of dawn. So by eight o'clock every night, he was pretty much cashed out. He was done. So the family would be in the TV room after dinner watching one of the three channels available to us because we lived in the middle of nowhere. That'd be two, four, and seven. Oh, I remember. Yeah. And uh, at the time, the old man, he would always doze off while reading the newspaper. So the family's in the den, hanging out, watching TV. And over there in the corner is my dad. And he'd be reading the paper and he'd just start like nodding his head. But he'd be holding the paper out reading it. And then it would... He'd crinkle a little. And then he'd wake up and like the paper crinkling on and off. And we're sitting there trying to watch TV. So he just like kept nodding off and it would just like, like drop the paper. It was super noising, super annoying as a kid. You know, it's funny now looking back at it, but uh, that was always the one thing that kind of drove me nuts as a kid. And it was, it was an ongoing battle because I'd crank the TV up louder to wake him up. And he'd, uh, you know, it kind of startled him. He'd be up for another minute, and then he'd start dozing, and I'd crank the TV louder. <laughs> there was times going by that you'd walk by the den, the TV would be so loud. And, and your just, poor dad sound asleep. He's just zonked out. Be like, Dad, go to bed. I'm like, I'm not tired. <laughs> You're clearly <laughs> tired. 
So yeah, it was the vicious cycle of that, but it was funny. It, it, it's really pretty tame. Now, if that's the worst issue I had, then that's uh, that's pretty good. No, I, I got I I was a fucking little asshole. So oh yeah, I have, oh, yeah. I have zero complaints. Yeah, how they didn't ship me off, I don't know. Uh, the statistic, real quick. This is from Pew Research. It's an older one from 2015, but they said uh, dads see parenting as central to their identity now. Uh, dads uh, are just as likely as moms to say that parenting is extremely important to their identity. Some 50% of fathers said that in 2015. How I that is, I don't know. Hmm? That makes sense. That's yes. a it's a huge commitment. That's a giant responsibility. Mm-hmm. That is your whole life responsibility. If I'm a frisbee golf guy after only frisbee golfing three times, mm-hmm. disc golf, then I I mean I'm identifying completely as that now. Then I can see somebody. <laughs> I can see that most people would consider themselves like father is their identity. Anyway, three years from now, when your your frisbees are collecting dust next to your throwing axes in your traditional archery, yeah, I bow, still throw axes in <laughs> your mountain bike. And I haven't been biking yet this year. <laughs> I sold mine. I spent thirty two dollars yeah. on two frisbees the other day. Mm-hmm. So that's an investment that yeah. I, I need to ride at least through fall. Yeah, you, I remember when you asked me. You're like, oh, you should try. I'm like, I want to. I'll try it. But I'm not getting involved. I have enough damn hobbies. I'm at capacity. I'm going to sew a little caddy vest for uh, Ginny Bean. Aww. So just strap it over. Because right now she just walks. You're going to throw it. She's going to just take off after. She doesn't go after frisbees. No? No. Just toads. Just toads. Okay. All right. Do you have anything else to say? That's all I got off the top of the show. The main notes. Just those few extra things. Uh, We hope all you guys are appreciate and enjoy the new longer sessions we're going to be doing i think it'll be good for us that's my thought i'm ready all right uh i think we talked earlier was it you you're going first i'm going first yes okay yeah i'm excited to hear yours you keep talking about it and we just came from uh Corey's like a family barbecue thing and his family started to say something about it Mm -hmm. and i told them to stop 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 tell them stop and and that's kind of surprising because i usually don't say anything to anyone when they say, oh, what's your next topic about? I say, you'll have to wait and see. I tell everybody. Do you? Yeah, but I only really talk to six people, so it's not really that big of a oh, deal. And most of them don't listen. No, they all do. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I always tell them. Oh, here I am trying to be mysterious. Yeah, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking dink. All right. <clears throat> Story. So. We all know the teenage woes of dads not letting you borrow the car to go to a rad party are not letting you stay up till 3 a.m. playing Halo with your weird neighbor friends. <clears throat> In fact, growing up, you would swear that some of your friends' dads were the biggest dickhead assholes on the planet whose sole purpose was to kill all of the adolescent joy you were supposed to be having, like setting off firecrackers and mailboxes or peeing off the roof of a de- uh, department store at 2 a.m. No, re- oh, yeah, but remember when we <sighs> peed around the entire block? Uh, remember? I, I won't say I'm block. just suggesting. I'm not admitting to any crimes on oh, the internet. It took four, five, five of us. We, <laughs> I, we, I didn't have anything we to do with that an one. entire block in one line. That's pretty impressive. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Continue. Maybe the department store one. I might have seen something, but anyway. But looking back, you should be grateful because these quote unquote asshole dads were probably doing you a favor by making sure that you weren't going to end up being a total degenerate turd. Because after you hear today's story. You may just learn that a father's influence can last a lifetime and beyond. Today, we are going to learn about the coolest dad in American history. A guy who was the envy of his town, 
was tough as nails, and was loved by everyone. This cool cat is none other than Dale Rooster Bogle. And everything I just told you about him is a complete lie. This dude was a fucked up piece of shit, and the effects he had on his family's lives lasted for generations. What's the way? Repeat the name again. Dale, quote unquote, Bo, uh, Rooster. Bogle. Oh, that's not his real middle that's name. That's his nickname. Okay. Yes. I'll, t- I'll touch on that. Is it a cock thing? <clears throat> Rooster Bogle. I said I'll touch on okay. it. Okay. <laughs> I bet you <laughs> Be will. Patient. <laughs> Be patient. Be uh, patient. Rooster Bogle, Bogle was born dirt poor in 1941 in Wichita Falls, Texas. His parents, Lewis and Evie Bogle, were carny folk who traveled the circuit performing motorcycle stunts for crowds across the Southwest. They were also shady as fuck, known for running scams and running moonshine. Rooster's parents were also very progressive for the time, and that they even forgot to give their son a legal name at birth. So for 15 years of his life, Rooster called himself Dale, until his mother finally had him legally named Bobby in 1956. Wait, that's them being progressive? Is that the only thing that made them progressive? They weren't being progressive. That's just shitty. Oh, okay. I thought like <laughs> they were like, okay, they were like gay kid. rights or something no. like that. It's like, no, it's a real progressive family that no. just moved in. They just didn't name their They're kid. They're just drunk assholes. Oh, okay. <laughs> they forgot to do it. Fuck. All right. The reality is that the Bogles were essentially a textbook definition of white trash with bootlegging carny parents who drank too much as the heads of their household, all of the Bogle children were pretty much doomed from the start. Rooster was the runt of his siblings and always looked up to them in their petty criminal ways. He had a short temper and was always looking to prove himself, kind of like an angry rooster, hence the nickname. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought it was going to be something about his cock. Nope. Okay. Well, disappointed. Plenty of use on that. More on that later. Okay. As a teenager... Rooster was a feared adversary in school. No one fucked with him because he was ruthless in a fight. That, and he would conceal a small metal pipe in his fist to guarantee a knockout punch. Rooster was also no stranger to crime. He would carry a twenty-two pistol with him for shooting out the locks on payphones so they would be easier to loot the change out of. As a young boy, he was always in trouble. He sure wasn't shaping up to be a fine young man, that's for certain. It also doesn't help... That on one fateful evening as a teenager in the ninth grade, Rooster's life would change for the worse when a rival teen boy whom he challenged to a fight decided to use a 2 by 4 to even the odds and cracked Rooster so hard in the head it fractured his skull, eventually leaving him with long-term brain damage. After the fight, he would go on to suffer horrible headaches, epilepsy, antisocial behavior, and an even shorter temper for the rest of his life. Isn't that, I, like, that's just a fucking thing, though, with, like, traumatic brain injury. Like, that, like, I don't oh, think yeah. how many, like, serial killers had some sort of you know, brain well, I mean, injury look at, all the, uh, at a young age when they were still developing. Yeah, the sports players. Oh, yeah, they're yeah. all serial killers. Not serial killers. They have serious mental issues. Oh, now. yeah, okay. Suicide, and they kill their wives, and them, yeah. So, they talk about that in the book, but anyway. So, I don't want to get in a fight. <laughs> so, all right. After that, it didn't take long before Rooster finally got himself into real trouble. In 1958, his brothers Lloyd and Charlie let Rooster tag along with them for the late-night theft of an 800-pound safe from a local grocery store. Needless to say, the keen criminals managed to get themselves caught within seven weeks because they were spending burnt money around town and were sent and then soon sent to prison. 
They, it amazes me, old criminals oh that God. would steal. Like everybody knew something got stolen. Yeah, and suddenly the fucking moron that got hit in the face Loaded. with a board just like I like to buy that. I don't know what the fuck they yeah. buy back then. Because they expensive. Used, uh, yeah, they, marbles. They used a cutting torch that they stole from the railroad. Yeah, to melt into the safe, which put little burn holes in all the money. So they're not. Oh, yeah. Oh, burnt. Like burnt, really burnt. Okay. Yeah, burnt money. Okay. So, all right, all right. Uh, let's see. Being younger, Rooster got a lesser charge of probation, but quickly broke it by leaving the state and was ultimately sent to prison himself. However, he was eventually let out in 1961 at the age of 19. Uh, shortly after his stint in the pokey he decided to settle down with a nice young local woman to start a family of his own. That fine young woman was 14-year-old Kathy Curtis, who also came from a dirt-poor family of petty criminals. Rooster and Kathy wasted no time in following in their parents' footsteps and began to pump out more children than they could afford or properly feed or raise. And now is where you get to learn about the super dad that was Rooster Bogle. I'm excited. All right. Rooster and Kathy eventually moved north to Oregon uh, and went on to have seven children together. But not to have his player status outdone, while still married to Kathy, Rooster brought in a second woman to their home named Linda White to stay with them in some sort of very awkward live-in extra girlfriend-slash-wife situation. Oh, so they were... Mm -hmm. No shit. He managed to father two more children with her while all living under the same roof. Was Kathy okay with this? Yes. Are you serious? That's why I said They're a very like awkward down? living arrangement. Okay. Yeah. Uh huh. Hmm. So you know, really showing those kids how an average household should look, right? You know. Well, I mean, you did. <laughs> okay. What? No, nothing. I'm done. All right. But in between, all, in between all of his constant revolving door trips to jail, Rooster would still find time. Uh, to teach his kids some important life skills to help them traverse this crazy world we live in. With those life skills being how to con, fight, steal, and burglarize from innocent people. It would be a regular family affair to break into a neighbor's house or local corner store and steal everything of value. Together, they would break into businesses after hours, rob people's gardens, scam welfare, steal their ma uh, steal mail, uh, scam locals out of goods, and on one occasion, the family broke into a state-run salmon hatchery so they could feast on choice cuts of fish all night long. I don't like eating salmon early in the evening if you're going to be talking to people afterward. I don't think they cared. Okay. Just that, <laughs> They're you know a bunch I'm, of scumbags. You know what I'm saying, though? I don't like salmon. I do, but like it just if you talk, it's, that's all Not you smell. Not a big redfish. Well, yeah. Okay. For Christmas... The kids never got any toys or items a child might want. Instead, Rooster gave his kids hand tools so they could go out and break into places on their own to acquire their own gifts. They truly were a family of bandits. Now, I know kids can complain and get bored pretty easily, but the Bogle children always had plenty to do. When they weren't out committing crimes of their own with their newfound skills, they were busy at home entertaining their dad. Rooster once built a haggard boxing ring and would make his young boys get shit-faced and box each other until they were bruised and bloodied. And they were like 9 or 10 at the time. It's not like they were teenagers. So. I can't. No, it's not what? funny. What's so funny? You know. fucking sadist. Jesus. <laughs> we just finished. Uh, oh, fuck me. The hell was the one with John Cena that I was watching? 
God I don't damn know. it. The HBO show. I don't know. Peacemaker. Yeah, yeah. There's a guy in there that does that. Okay. Well, the kids <laughs> the kids also got to play this neat game where their drunk dad would take his 30-30 hunting rifle and shoot matchsticks out of his kids' teeth. <gasps> yeah. They would hold it out sideways, and dad would take the rifle and shoot them out. Like shoot them out or try to light them? Because that'd be more impressive if he could yeah. shoot it and light them. I him. think he would shoot the sticks. Holy it's amazing shit. he didn't shoot his kids. He never in the head. shot one of them. Nope. Sometimes the boys would get a chance to shoot the matchsticks from dad's mouth, <gasps> and they never missed. This is a cartoon. I know. This is like they. Wow. Yeah. But if fighting or drunken gunplay wasn't your thing, then perhaps some moto mayhem was on the menu. Rooster once made his six-year-old son learn how to ride a full-sized motorcycle and jump it over tires and oil drums for laughs. For obvious reasons, the kids crashed a lot and got injured, so look out evil Knievel, I guess. <laughs> uh, and the go-to form of entertainment for the Bogle kids was the almost daily beatings dealt out by their drunken father. Okay, now it's taking a sour turn. He would pull out his pocket knife so he could carve a fresh switch <gasps> from the trees out in the oh, backyard okay. for dealing his usual punishments. So... You wouldn't oh. think that, like, you ever get, you've been hit with a switch, right? A stick, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, it's just a stick. But, like, we used to do it. We used to hit each other with it. Like, you wouldn't think a little stick would hurt that Fucking bad. But it hurts. does. It hurts yeah. a lot. Big welt. Remember, I used to skin. get hit with tack strips. Oh, now, like carpet tack strips? Yes, that hurt a lot. Yeah, that would hurt. Not from my dad. I'm saying from other kids. Sure. Oh, no. Don't turn this around uh -huh. on me. Yeah, that's why you're laughing about drunk. Children beating each other up think it's funny. No, we weren't fighters. Is that what you did? No, we were not fighters. <laughs> I, that's, I can, can I took confirm karate, that. and anybody who took karate is not a fighter. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I recall that. All right. <clears throat> Along with his lessons involving theft, fighting, drinking, and living an overall dangerous lifestyle, Rooster was also very involved in teaching his children about the birds and the bees. While living in a small house with two wives and nine children... The kids were exposed to how parents should interact with each other. Rooster would openly beat his wives and sexually grope them in front of the kids. They would He would take turns having sex with his wives, usually whichever one wasn't beaten up too badly, and gave no mind to if the kids were peeking through the bedroom door. Jesus fucking Christ. Also, to prove that chivalry wasn't dead, Rooster regularly cheated on his wives with underage teens or the skanks and barflies of his neighborhood. As one does, I guess, yeah. Uh, he also felt so compelled to make sure that once his boys hit puberty, that they properly became men as soon as they could. To do this, he would arrange to meet one of his side pieces in a local roach motel, then would proceed to make his sons watch him plow a nasty barfly right in front of them. Once Rooster, uh, once Rooster had his fill... He then made his boy have sex with the scuzzy woman while he watched and coached them along. Jesus fucking Christ, Corey. Yeah, where's your funny jokes now? I don't Bam. have any. Yeah, really. Because I don't have anything funny in mind, so I'm like, oh, maybe I'll be able to make some sort of lured, 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 lewd yeah. comment. But I don't have anything at all. That's disgusting. Yeah, I know. It's pretty fucked up. Huh. Yeah, the show's tough shit, right? Remember? No, this is definitely putting into contrast, like just me playing disc golf. Mm -hmm. in a park. Enjoy it. Enjoy yeah. your golf. <laughs> I, I'm going to. Yeah. Jesus so. fucking Christ. Yeah, really making a dad proud there. So, sadly, another thing that made Rooster proud was the fact in knowing that his boys were going to be locked up someday. 
He would romanticize this idea to them when they were children. He would drive them past the state penitentiary and joyfully point it out, telling these boys that, quote, you're going to be locked up in there someday, to which most of them were at some point in their lives. The reality of their uh, in, uh, incarceration was very far from romantic. Most of the kids turned out even worse after going in. From having to deal with gangs and fighting, or not to mention getting beaten or raped while there. Uh, I'm going to share one experience that Rooster's son Tony had while at the McLaren School for Boys when he was a teenager. And just a warning, this is fucking gross. Oh, this is explicit? You're actually giving an explicit thing? Like, I am giving an explicit. Like, we talk about, we've talked about some pretty fucked up things on this show. But I'm oh, going to read this. And so this, this is, is at an all-boys school. This isn't an all-boys. This is, I would not even call it a school. It's, it's well, a, they were all having butt sex. It's in a boys teenage schools. prison. What year was this? This is in the 80s, so hold on. Okay. When I arrived at McLaren, Tony recalled, it was totally out of control. Tony saw a boy who was in chains beaten by a burly guard for what seemed like an hour during his first day there. That night... Tony was assigned an upper bunk, unaware of what was about to happen. The first thing he knew was that something warm and wet hit him in the face, and then his blankets and sheets were pulled off, and he was covered in a hot, milky substance. The other boys were jerking off and spraying me, Tony said. Some, some boys had even saved up their cum in bottles and were tossing it all over me. It was Tony's introduction to McLaren's tradition of cum fights. Oh, Jesus. We did a fake one of those ones. <laughs> <laughs> right? so when I read that, I'm like, oh, that, Was my. that the thing that you told me I was going to get all excited yeah. about? So, well, you kind of ruined cum fights for me because I, I know was, we just used cock. It I was just funny. I know. I read this to my wife. She's like, you fucking sickos. I was like, well, we were joking. Yeah, I it didn't was, mean anything I didn't know it. there was a real thing, Ugh. but that's fucked up. Um so yeah, there was. Because that was come fight 06, so this would have been what come fight eighty six, <laughs> like eighty. But yeah. all right, so he said the guards didn't do anything. Tony said they just left us alone. It happened to every new boy when they arrived. There were also guards having sex with the boys sometimes in exchange for passes or for cigarettes. Tony said, and a few of the medical staff and a cook in the kitchen also had sex with the boys. So that Jesus, was goddamn Christ. And you know what? That's uh, you know the more I read like like reading like Bonnie and Clyde mm -hmm. and like read like read an old okay, I know this was in the eighties but for some reason I just keep picturing these guys like in overalls in the twenties or something yeah. like that no but when it wasn't that long ago if ever a boy ends up in like a place for boys mm -hmm. it's they're usually gonna get raped probably it seems yeah like that and that was the theme for a lot of those guys throughout this but Ugh. yeah fucking gross all right. So, one might find this hard to believe, but after living through all of that horrible shit I just discussed, almost all of the Bogle children and extended family would go on to become very damaged members of society. It's also worth noting here that several members of the family uh, went through most of their lives with undiagnosed schizophrenia and bipolar disorder as well, which obviously didn't help their situation in life. Uh, the boys had it particularly rough. Almost all of them went on to live their lives like they had been raised by a drunk father who never developed mentally past age 15 and a mom who was strung out on drugs and didn't give a fuck because that was their reality. 
the children went on to become adults, got caught for their slew of various crimes, and spent much of their lives in and out of juvie, prison, or on probation. Most of them never learned how to have a proper relationship with a person, which led to having fucked up love lives as well. In the end, Rooster, his brothers, their children, his children, and his grandchildren all went on to serve time or probation for the crimes they committed. In total, over 60 members of the Bogle family have been charged with crimes uh, ranging uh, from... Ragey. Oh, Jesus. I'm try so... saying... Wait, hang on. Just try saying alluding <laughs> once. Ranging. There you go. <laughs> I, I admit it said raging. I'm like, fucking autocorrect. <laughs> with crimes ranging from petty drug possession all the way up to murder. And several of them are still in prison to this day. Rooster eventually passed away in 1998 due to cancer, but his legacy that lived on is something of a cancer itself. As time goes on, more studies are starting to show that not only a person's environment or mental illness will shape who becomes a criminal, but genetic markers are starting to become a factor as well. The idea that a person is more likely to become a scourge of society by family heritage has been a taboo concept in the past due to the dated views involving eugenics tied to that, uh, but the facts don't lie. As few as 5% of families account for half of all crime, and only 10% of families account for two-thirds of all crime, which is a pretty eye-opening statistic when you think about it. So the bulk of crime is getting committed by same, the same families. Well, yeah, you can pass down all sorts of stuff. We've talked about it before on the show when we talk about like, uh, um, uh, trauma it can be inherited, mm-hmm. you know? All right. Yep. So next time your old man is driving you nuts by cranking his lame music from the 1980s while walking around in his jean shorts with white colored New Balance sneakers on, just be grateful he's not having you break into the neighbor's house to steal their alcohol so you can get drunk and fist fight your siblings, then follow it up by taking you to a shitty motel to sleep with a scuzzy woman in their 40s. The end. Now, the dad there at the end in the fucking white socks or New Balances and shit, that's you. That, my dad wears sandals, keen sandals. Sorry. And I've seen you in jean shorts and I sock- don't have jean shorts. Well, your pants are pretty much shorts. They're high waters. So what? And, I, and you wear New Balance. <laughs> Live by the creek. <laughs> Come on. That's very true. You don't go in the creek. Well, no, you do go in the creek. I go, yeah, I go in creek walks. But you wear gators. Uh, yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah. That's absolutely fucking disgusting. Yeah. And you've ruined me so soup for me. Absolutely ruined it. There you go. And I finally got to a place where there was a, one spot I was getting miso soup was okay, and I found another one that's absolutely wonderful. And now I don't think I can drink it. Eat it. Just swallow it anymore. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was really fucked up. That was uh, Rooster Bogle. What's the name of the book that you used? Okay. The book I read was In My Father's House by uh, Fox Butterfield. And this guy studies criminology – He's a writer for multiple papers and other sources. He's written a bunch of books on crime. Really well done book. Uh, And yeah, he studied crime most of his life. So he's the one who got all these statistics. He actually (coughs) met with a lot of these family members. All these info is directly from the family. Uh, Did you ever meet Rooster? Rooster was dead by the time he got into this. Because 
uh, when, when I mentioned the uh, eugenics thing, uh, so he chose the Bogle family because they were white uh, due to the whole notion that like, racism was a factor in linking family heritage to crime and things like that. Yep. It just shows that it doesn't discriminate. If it's a family of criminals, you're likely going to have more criminals. That's the studies uh, as time goes on. So, And I, just with this, like usual, I scratched the surface of what the family went through. I mean, the poor kids, they were treated like shit, and they were raised as fucking criminals. And Yeah, that's the thing. Like, yeah, so they grew up or went on to be pieces of shit. Exactly. But then, like, well, what's the environment? Like, if you're, in, if you're being raised mm-hmm. to, like— being shot at and being forced to get fucked up at a young yeah. age and fight each other. And, like, you go to a boys' school where they have a cum Horrible. fight. Yeah. And, you, like, you're, they don't have much chance. There's mm-hmm. people with, like, decent fathers that, like, just fuck up and don't yeah. ever do anything. Yeah. So, yeah what, 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 yeah, what chance do they have? It's very limited. Now, I will say at the end of this book, uh, there is a glimmer, <laughs> glimmer of hope. For some of the Bogles, there has not all of them ended up being, but a lot of them. Most of them got in trouble at some point in their lives. Uh, the one, the one of them, saw how fucking insane the family was, and took on a life of like uh, following God and got involved with uh, like a halfway house and churches and things like that. And she did really, she did okay in life. And one of the I can't remember which one, but one of the kids, one of the grandkids, one of Rooster's grandkids was the first Bogle in history to go to college and finish college. What did he major in? Do you remember? It's a she. Or she. She got an associate's in uh, like something medical, nursing or medical or whatever. And she wants to go back in the book. Like this was in 2018. The book was written. Okay. uh, I don't know if she completed it or anything, but she wanted to go back and do a four year school. But. She at least got a degree, and she actually had, um, you know, she still grew up around a family like that still had a little bit of craziness going on. Some of her siblings got in trouble, drug possession, things like that. But she managed to say, like, see what was happening, and said, you know, I want to try to do it right. It's so impressive when somebody yeah. like. And she had a kid young too. And okay. Still managed to put herself through school, so which was good. So there is there is some hope, which is nice. Um, if we were going to do a soft serve, that would have, that was going to be my story. Oh, and that, well, I guess we're not now. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I at least wanted to end it on that. But, yeah, that was uh, a very wild story, wild statistics that, you know, I feel bad for that family. Like, yeah, you, we make – like we always talk about, we make jokes and things like that. But to deal with that shit those kids went through, whew, no thanks. Well, I'm glad so, one of them made it out. Yeah. yeah. Or two of them. Yeah. yeah, a I'm, couple. I'm yeah, a couple did okay, and some like when I said the extended family, it was it was man. Like even some of uh, Kathy's family, they went on to just have kids that got fucked up. These kids stole ten wheelers. they sold. They stole semi trucks full of goods. Drove them multiple states. They stole so much shit. They broke into so many places. And stole so many, stole cars. Wrong like, decade. They would have made it in the 20s and 30s. Uh huh. You know what I mean? Well, the. It's kind of like people who were born now, but like Fleetwood Mac. The great grandparents, Rooster's parents, they romanticized the criminals of the 20s and 30s. And I want to say one of them, I don't remember which one, but a famous uh, criminal stayed with the Bogles one weekend. No shit. Yeah. Let me, let me look real quick. I wrote it down. That's like when Bonnie and Clyde stayed with, uh, oh, God, what, Babyface Nelson, right? And he fucking hated them, so he uh, wanted them gone because they were petty criminals. 
do who the hell is it do you want me to talk while you're looking that yeah, up yeah yeah hi everybody <laughs> uh, wait i i uh pretty boy floyd oh no yeah. shit yeah well, I'm thinking maybe it was no, yeah, Babyface Nelson is what I'm thinking of. But yeah, yeah, pretty. That's fantastic. Too. That was very good. Mm-hmm. So I thought you'd like that. I, I mean, enjoyed it terrible hearing so. about all that cum. That's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it was gross. So a quick, to to not gross everyone out. Like, what the fuck are these two talking about? Cum fight. So, back in 2006, when Christopher and I worked together, we were caulking doors with caulk, and it was white. And we took it and we smeared it all over a hat, a baseball hat, and we wrote on the brim, come fight 06, in hopes, and we hit it in a wall or did something. No, it was underneath the table in a kitchen. Not, yeah, not at, no, not saying where. You can't at. say where. No. So, so in, our, in our head, somebody was going to find it, be like, someone, come fight 06, that's ew. so gross. But in actuality, yeah. probably somebody found it, like, come fight 06, I think that's what it said. They put it on here with caulk. Yeah. But, yes. Yeah. So, it, we, we thought it was fucking hilarious, but come to find out, there was real disgusting cum fights, which is Arr. fucking gross. So, all right. Arr. Yes, we didn't get in a real one. Ugh. God. <laughs> so, all right. You said you have a story, and it is longer than usual, which I'm it not is. surprised. No, I went and I wanted to make it short. But again, like, I got it. So, I'll tell you the book I got for this eventually. But mm-hmm. it was, I left so much out. I got so obsessed with this story and these people. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kicking myself at what I didn't put in here but i just yeah. i kept and i wrote like most of it yesterday morning and i wrote the rest in the car which is very difficult to do because mandy and i left i, t- I mentioned that they well, bouncing all over the place i love how i i was talking to you i think friday before you left and you said i have two paragraphs done this isn't going to be very long and then within a day and a half you're like this is so long it is very long <laughs> okay but we'll, we'll which uh, is fine this is uh we're that's what we're going for so we'll, I'm, I'm cool with that we'll get into it all right okay Excuse me. You ready? Do it. Are you ready for the title? Do it. Okay, so this is... Hang on. Let me see here. Does that still sound okay? Yeah, you sound good. Okay. Uh, This is called Happy Pride Month. I present unto you the gayest story I've ever done. Oh, boy. And not only... Okay, so now we're getting into it. And not only the gayest story that I've ever done, but at the same time, the gayest murder that I've ever read about by the gayest dad that I've ever talked about on the show. Okay. You might know about this. Once you get going... I have an idea, but go on. <laughs> that, of course, being the murder of Marvin Gaye Jr. by his less-than-stellar father, Marvin Gaye Sr., on the 1st of April, 1984, simultaneously robbing the world of a great talent and also taking all the fun out of any April Fool's Day joke that depended largely on vodka and a pistol. I don't know how many of those there are, Yeah, but uh, this really did them in. <laughs> That's like the only joke too, because like I I was approaching this, I'm like, well, this will be fun, and then I started writing, I'm like, this isn't gonna be fun at all. Uh, Right off the top, uh, my main source for today's story is the excellent book *Divided Soul: The Life of Marvin Gaye* uh, by David Ritz. Um, Of course, I'm supposed to be talking about Marvin Gaye Sr., Mm -hmm. Marvin Gaye Jr.'s dad, but guess what? Nobody wrote a book about that useless piece of shit, so I had to work with what was out there. Most of what I got on Marvin Gaye Sr. came from his Wikipedia page. And they're like, you know, I'm a big supporter of Wikipedia. Yeah. But it's not exactly a spectacular feat to make it on the site. Mm. Um, like, there's entire pages that are just about people's cats. Yeah, I know. Which kind of comes back around because Marvin Gaye Sr. was a giant fucking pussy. And I'm sorry, that is my one allotted <laughs> pussy for today. 
Um, <laughs> back in the mind camper. It's, it's going to become very apparent very quickly that I don't have a lot of love for the shriveled dick drunk fuck that is Marvin Gaye Sr. Now, I'm excited. I know nothing of this. I learned a lot. Okay. So I was thinking of something else, but go on. Um, over the past month, I've learned more about Marvin Gaye Jr., uh, the Prince of Soul, mm-hmm. um, than I ever imagined I'd ever have wanted to learn. He was a very complicated man, to say the least. He was an incredible talent, a pioneer of the soul and pop music scenes throughout the 60s, 70s, and early 80s, and a man in the spotlight right up until his tragic death in April of 1984. Mm-hmm. And though he was an artist through and through and was undoubtedly loved by countless friends, Let's say a majority of his family, too. I wouldn't go so far as to say he was a good person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvin Jr. could be a loving man, at times a very generous man. But yep. at the same time, he had his demons in spades. Behind every swooning love song, each landmark live show, was a lifetime of cocaine and alcohol abuse, occasional spousal abuse, mountains of debt, and an unhealthy obsession with sadomasochism. Oof. Yes. Which is not what I would have thought about Marvin no, Gaye. No, that doesn't come to mind. No. Which, and like this where the sadomasochism goes, uh, under consensual circumstances, it's usually like totally cool, but not when the other party isn't into it. Yeah, that, that's the whole like consent part. Yeah. We'll mm-hmm. get into it a little. Um, so, but again, he's a very complicated man. And a lot of this can be traced directly back to a brutal upbringing under the lazy and just downright mean thumb of Marvin's father. Marvin Pence Gay Jr. I honestly, like, I'd rather spend today talking just about Marvin Jr. Mm-hmm. as his highs and lows are, like, truly compelling. And we'll yeah. get into his career a little bit, at least in the interest of context. Yep. But I understand that this is a Father's Day episode, so I'll try and remain focused on the vodka-soaked loser whose only contribution to the world was being a sperm donor who brought us Motown's greatest talent. Mm-hmm. Marvin Gay Sr. was born in Jessamine County, Kentucky, on the 1st of October, 1914. Marvin Sr. was the firstborn of 13 children to parents George and Mammy Gay. George Gay was a serial abuser who would regularly beat Marvin, his mother, and his siblings. Noticing a theme with our stories. Yes. (laughs) A violent and tyrannical man by all accounts. And of course, as we know now, there's no way that being raised in an environment steeped in violence could fuck a kid up, right? Right, yeah, huh. Well, against the odds, Marvin Sr.'s near daily beatings turned him into a real piece of shit. But that's a little ways down the line. As a child growing up in Lexington, Marvin Sr. and his mother joined the Pentecostal church, the House of God. This eventually propelled Marvin Sr. into his teens uh, to leave Lexington uh, for Washington, D.C., to pursue a career there as a minister for another House of God church. After some time, Marvin Sr. did become a minister, preaching in Washington and Pennsylvania. He came to be known as a healer and developed a devout following, especially, or actually eventually, becoming a bishop for a church in Norristown, Pennsylvania. But if you're under the impression that godliness meant a loving and enlightened home, you'd be very, very wrong. During his years preaching, Marvin Sr. met his future wife, Alberta, and after the two were married, they'd go on to have four children together. Alberta already had a children when she and Marvin Sr. first met, whose name was Michael. After a time, she gave birth to Marvin's first child. Jean, a girl, Mm -hmm. just to clarify. Um, Following Jean was the couple's first son together, Marvin Jr. And after Marvin came Frankie and finally Zola. From what I've read, growing up in the gay household was more or less a horror show. Marvin Sr. was apparently a big advocate for the uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. 
Hmm. Uh, method of child rearing. Yeah. Like his father before him, Marvin dealt out near daily beatings, not only to his children, but also to his wife, Alberta. The household that Marvin Jr. grew up in was an intense one, and he and his siblings were constantly on edge, as any minor infraction could instantly set their father off, as he was very much a man that was begging for the smallest excuse to become violent. Yeah. Like, he enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, that's... Ugh. Uh, Marvin Sr. exacerbated his children's already fragile mental states by adding some variety to his violent delights. At times, beatings would come in an explosion of sudden fists, leaving his kids, well, it was poor kids, his wife, shaking on the ground. At other times, Marvin Sr. would let the tension build, sending Marvin Jr., one of his siblings, to their room and promising a whipping later on that day, not letting them know when. Mm-hmm. He then stalked the hall outside their bedroom and slowly tapped the walls with the end of his belt, ensuring hours of distress for his children, as they'd never know just when their door would burst open. A psychological warfare. Yes. Jesus. Yeah. Like, he would tell them, like, well, you're going to get a whooping or whatever. Yeah. Don't know when. Could be in 10 minutes. Could be in nine hours. God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's hard to contrast this tragedy of a home life with a man of God um, whose lively sermons had congregants standing up in the aisles, singing. And speaking of singing, though Marvin Sr. was no slouch, his firstborn son, Marvin Jr., was shaping up to be something of a prodigy. And it's here where Marvin Sr. and Marvin Jr.'s relationship begins to get extra complicated. Though Marvin Jr. was no stranger to the war zone that was his home life, his time spent in his father's church managed to keep alive a budding adoration for his dad. It was in church that Marvin Jr. began to shine. And it was in church that Marvin Jr. first began to hope that maybe his father took some pride in him. Starting at about the age of five, Marvin Sr. started taking his son to the house of God to sing. Marvin wowed the congregation. And the church became a respite not only for Marvin Jr., but for his mother, Alberta, as well. It was here that Marvin Jr. found his gospel roots, his lifelong love of God and Jesus. Up until the- similar to you. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm you know the effort I'm trying to be respectful of people who were fucking believers. Yeah. So I'm giving it a shot. I was thinking about like the the, the singing and, you know, like, I can't sing for dick. You are you sure about that? And this is the one story that I decided not to do an accent for obvious reasons. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, I'll do wow. I'll do a fucking accent. I was Asian wondering and... why you showed up in blackface. What's up with that? Oh, stop <laughs> it. <laughs> He's not in blackface. You said that we were going to do ads on this. They won't advertise. They won't do an advertisement if I'm in You'd bod- be amazed what you can put ads on. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, it was here in, where he found, like, his gospel roots. And he did. He found his love of God and Jesus. Up until the day he died, Marvin Gaye Jr. was a true believer, a state that was in constant conflict with his later lifestyle, a life that was drenched in extramarital affairs, prostitutes, drugs, alcohol, violence, and crushing depression. But either way, those early days singing in his father's church set a course for not only Marvin Jr.'s music career, but also tied into his dad for the rest of his life, a tie that would leave him dead at the age of 45. Yeah, something with fame. You know, oh, him. this goes yeah, beyond fame. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I can... It's so fucked, man. Um, so, yeah, when Marvin Sr. was still actively involved in the church, things at home were bad, to say the least. After he left the church in the 1950s, things got even worse at home. Throughout Marvin Sr.'s quote-unquote career as a minister, actual work that brought in an income was never much of a concern for him. By all accounts, he never worked more than a part-time job here and there, one of the last of which was acting as a postal worker for Western Union. 
However, a supposed back injury forced him to be indefinitely laid off, and he more or less never really worked again. Yeah. It was around this time that Marvin Sr. almost completely withdrew from society and became a full-on alcoholic. With Marvin Jr.'s father now an unemployed drunk, the full weight of providing for the family fell on Alberta, who spent her days employed as a domestic uh, worker to cover the bills. Marvin Sr., always a monster, but at least a somewhat employed monster, would from this point on be a useless piece of shit for the rest of his life. Marvin Jr. at this point was around 12 years old, and he was coming along nicely as a gospel singer. But at the same time, he was an awkward kid with a horrifying home life, still beaten daily by his drunk sadist father. Marvin Jr. was also picked on mercilessly, again a result of his dad. Marvin Sr., when he did appear outside of his home, was, to put it kindly, an oddly dressed man. Yeah. He tended to dress in an effeminate manner, blouses and the like. Hmm. Add to this his lithe and frail-looking body, and it was no wonder that rumors as to his sexuality began to fly. Rumors were rumors, but Marvin Jr., he knew full well the weight of things. When his mother had gone to work, Marvin Jr. would spy on his father as he drunkenly cross-dressed in his wife's in his wife's clothes, thinking no one was the wiser. Which I don't have this in there, but Marvin Gay Jr. did do that occasionally too. Later on, I forgot to put that in. They'd be doing all right today. Oh yeah, it'd be fine. Yeah, <laughs> but like, there was never any evidence that Marvin Sr. was gay. Yeah, just that he liked the cross-dress. But Marvin Jr. was terrified that the truth would come out. Over the next few years, Marvin Jr. would do everything he could to get as far away from his father as he possibly could. And real quick, yeah, again, nothing wrong with cross-dressing. You want to do it? That's great. Have fun. It's more like the whole beating your kids for being a minute late from getting like home from school, yeah. but then secretly dressing in your wife's clothes while she's at work. Like She's the one working, but you're downing bottles of vodka all day. Yeah. That's where I draw a line. Yeah, that guy sounds like a real drag. Okay, that was just <laughs> low-hanging fruit. No, let's let that one sink in for a minute while I take a drink of water. Yeah. I got It's sparkly. I'm not sure if sparkly water does better or regular. I regular. don't know. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm kind of noticing, you know, I, I with the work part, how he hardly worked and got injured to, you know, get out of working. That was a constant thing with this, this family as well. Oh, he was the fucking lazy yeah. shit. Yeah, and they would scam Yo, I got a back injury. And his fucking his, places. Yep, oh, yeah, his mom worked her ass off. Mm-hmm. But so okay. Yeah, go on. Here's we're gonna have to do like some necessary glossing over some key events, okay. <laughs> which I don't want to. And like by glossing over, I mean like twenty-ish years of Marvin Juniors and Marvin Seniors' lives. Mm-hmm. Marvin Juniors because it's just so dense. Yeah, the winding tale of Marvin Gay Junior's storied life is truly affecting. It really is. Um, we just don't have the time here today to do it anywhere near justice mm-hmm. he was an artist and i'm honestly shocked at how much i'm enjoying his music because i've been listening to, to a lot of it for the show um it's not the sort of stuff that i would normally seek out but yeah i encourage anyone who just enjoys reading about extraordinary people to check out divided soul okay um, it was very worthwhile at the same time we're glossing over marvin gay seniors next 20-ish years because he didn't fucking do anything he was drunk so- asshole soaked in vodka mm-hmm. sleeping ar- sleeping around yep Extramarital affairs, not only that, had another um, kid outside of his marriage. All right. Uh, but yeah, he's just a piece of shit. And like, he, the sleeping around was only when he left the house. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, Marvin Jr., however, reaching his late teens, <clears throat> seemed destined for a career in the music industry. And as we all know, he did just that. Yeah. 
Early on, Marvin Jr. and his childhood friend, Reese Palmer, formed a quartet called the Marquise, a small-time group that just happened to be lucky enough to come to the attention of doo-wop legend Bo Diddley. And let me tell you, I've learned a lot about doo-wop. <laughs> I'm not a fan. What? But, like, yeah, I... Like, it was interesting uh-huh. reading about, but it's still, I'm not swayed. No, it's not your thing, huh? No. But either way, it, <laughs> it was, was big. <laughs> it was huge. Yeah. Um, it was this connection that eventually saw the Marquise crossing paths with a co-founder of the Moon Glows, Harvey Fuqua. Fuqua was so impressed with the Marquise that he hired the group and renamed them Harvey and the New Moon Glows. Not very original. No. But it worked. Harvey was especially impressed with Marvin, the standout singer of the group, and he wasn't the only one. After some time spent with Harvey, who Marvin adored, looking to him as a father figure, which was a habit that Marvin would repeat with several different men of authority over the course of his short life, Marvin made it to Chicago, and from there, to Detroit. And it was this move that would make Marvin a legend. In December of 1960, Marvin Gaye Jr., now gay with an E at the end, to further distance himself from his father. Ah, Performed at the home of Barry Gordy, the president of Motown. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. That if, like you know, I could just like just the story of Motown is insane. Like mm-hmm. it's really wild. Yeah. Uh, so Barry was so impressed by Marvin's vocal range and the emotion that he plainly put into his singing that he bought out the contract on Marvin from ha- from Harvey Fuqua, and Marvin Gaye finally began his long and tumultuous career at Motown. From here, Gaye's career ranged from the highest highs to the lowest of lows, and over the next couple of decades, he became fully ensconced in Motown. Motown was a family-run affair. Barry Gordy being at the top, and his sisters being integral parts of the operating body. In 1963, Marvin married Barry Gordy's sister, Anna, who was 17 years his senior. Damn. Yes. It was Anna who would act as Gay's muse for some of his biggest hits over their 12-year marriage. Though deeply in love, the couple had a talent for hurting one another, and doubtless stayed together far longer than was healthy. The rough patches had a detrimental effect on on Marvin's mental state a mental state that was already fragile from formative years, surrounded by physical abuse. I don't know why. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's already (laughs) fucked up. Despite being high, drunk, depressed, or all three at the same time, Marvin managed to put Hat trick. Oh, yeah. Well, I get that. The guy can (laughs) do anything. (laughs) That's a horrible hat trick. Like, I I wouldn't even drive Buzz. (laughs) Like, this guy, he was fucked, but he's still, like... That was the thing back then. Like... Too drunk, have a bump of coke. Yeah. Okay. It was just to balance it out. But like, even so, he managed to put out a wealth of fantastic music. Uh, Though claiming that his dream was to make it as a pop star, uh, Marvin clearly had a lot to say. The album, What's Going On, not only was a smash hit for Motown, but also resonated with folks who were growing more and more concerned with the war in Vietnam and race relations at home. The album, Here, My Dear, was essentially a dressing down of his then-wife, Anna. Marvin recorded, this is awesome, uh, it's mean, but Marvin recorded the album after he was informed that half of the proceeds of his next recording would go to Anna per their divorce settlement. Ugh. So he just made an album tearing her apart, and she got the proceeds from it. <laughs> it's kind of a fuck you, which, again, mean, yeah. but clever. Yeah. As the 70s continued, Marvin's grip on reality began to deteriorate further. A, mor- a morning-till-night cocaine habit didn't help things, and neither did his parents moving out to L.A. in 1973 uh, to a got, house he bought for them. Got closer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At this point, Marvin Jr. had been in L.A. for a while, and he'd been doing well enough to buy his folks a house there. Marvin's concern was more for his mother than anyone else. 
But despite Marvin's father and mother not getting along, the two were still married. Marvin Sr. moving back into the same city as Marvin Jr. brewed instant tension between the two men. Marvin Sr. began to drink even more, became meaner, started to curse openly, and flat out stopped having sex with Alberta, which they make it a point to say in that, though honestly I was kind of shocked that they were banging it all back in Washington at this point. They yeah. hated each other. Yeah. But I, either I, I'm sure he he probably forced the issue. Well, I mean, he I'm was he was back. more he had a lot of side stuff. Oh, uh, still. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, Marvin Jr. poured himself into his music. And it was around this time that he recorded the universally known hit, Let's Get It On. Yes, don't do it. Yeah. During the recording of Let's Get It On, Marvin met his second wife, who walked into the studio midway through the recording. And supposedly, like reading this book, you can hear something in his voice when he spots her. In this was the studio recording of Let's Get It On. Really? Yeah, supposedly. Okay, yeah, that's kind of a lore thing. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of neat. Yeah. Marvin was awestruck immediately and began his courtship that day, despite the girl, Janice Hunter, only being 16. Mm. Marvin was 33 at the time. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and not to mention he's still married to Anna. Ah, details. The divorce hadn't gone through. Uh. Compounding all this, the affair, the divorce, the drugs, and, mother's, and Marvin's father coming back into his life, Marvin Jr. was nearly broke. He depended over the years on Anna and Barry Gordy at Motown to manage his finances, including paying his taxes. As Marvin became more and more paranoid in his later years, he trusted those close to him less and less. And that help, probably because of the divorce, yeah. was becoming not, not as forthcoming as it once was. By 1978, Marvin's monthly expenses were around $34,000. His monthly income was about $40,000. He declared Damn. bankruptcy on more than one occasion and was more than $7 million in debt. Oof. And that's not even back taxes. That's some Wesley Snipes shit yes. there. And that, yeah, that's not even talking <laughs> about like the back taxes he owed at that point. Yeah. Marvin was forced to tour just to keep up with the costs of his ever-growing drug habit. And Marvin hated to tour. Hated it. He only did it for money. That's where your money was, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So he ran. Marvin left the U.S. for about three years, going everywhere from Hawaii, where he lived in a van on the edge of a cliff with his adopted son wearing nothing but a, back, a bathrobe and drunk on whiskey more often than not. Seriously. Wow. Yeah. So everywhere from Kind of a fall from grace there. Huh? Oh, it gets worse. Everywhere from, yeah, Hawaii to Europe, including some time in Belgium. Um, it was in Ostend, Belgium, that Marvin finally began to feel some peace. Though he didn't out and out quit cocaine, he definitely dialed it back enough where he could start working again. Mm -hmm. After some time in Belgium, uh, Marvin was finally, like, mentally and financially in a better place. He finally made his way back to the U.S. with a shiny new record deal with CBS Records. And to top it off, a long-awaited national tour in 1983. Though Marvin was as close as he had ever been like to clear-headed in Belgium, yeah. upon his return to the U.S., he began to regress. Between his on-again, off-again relationship with still wife, Janice, who he left for three fucking years, <laughs> um, <laughs> and he had two children with, um, and being back in the same city as his, as his father, who was as drunk and violent as ever, Marvin was settling, setting himself up for disaster. Marvin, say what you will about him, loved his mother and spent as much time with her as he could after he returned home. But those visits meant being in the same house as Marvin Sr. And Marvin Jr. was sick over how his mother was treated by his father. This led to increasingly intense blowouts between father and son, and Marvin began to unravel again. 
1983 tour was less than flattering for Marvin. He needed the money. That's the only reason that he ever toured in the first place, but he was getting sloppy. Mm-hmm. Marvin Gaye was a sex symbol, no doubt. But his last tour went from like his early stage theatrics, like yeah. shirt open, swaying his hips. Oh, yeah, yeah. To an out-of-shape Marvin without any pants on, waggling about the stage in a cocaine haze. Oof. Yeah. Kind of like uh, the Jim Morrison... Yeah, he was kind of a fuck from the beginning, I guess. He, but he did get he got oh he big got gross, fast. yeah, yes. yeah. Um, so the end of the tour was an out and out disgrace. Marvin was convinced that he was being stalked, that there was a vast conspiracy out there employing assassins who would see him dead any day. Jesus, he was losing it. He was having visions, and he told his friends that he knew how he was going to die. He said it would be soon, and that he'd be shot to death by a man with a pistol. He was right on both counts. After the tour, Marvin was sick, mentally and physically ill. He moved back into the home that he had bought for his parents in Arlington Heights, district of L.A. There, he moved into the bedroom next to his mother's. Next to him, his father's room. Dear old dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Marvin's mother and father were in an especially bad place. Between money issues and all-around mutual hate of one another and Marvin moving back home, the house was a pressure cooker ready to blow. Marvin Jr. spent nearly all his time in his room, which was in utter disarray. He was high constantly, even doing drugs in front of his mother as she cried and begged him to stop. Add Add to this Marvin Sr. being drunk morning till night on vodka, and it was only a matter of time before one of them went too far. Things were getting to a tipping point and were exacerbated further when Marvin Sr. started making threats and showed a, a re, he was started to show uh, a renewed interest in a pistol that his son had gifted him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Marvin was later quoted as telling, Marvin Sr., sorry, was later quoted as telling more than one family member that, quote, if he touches me, I'll kill him. When Marvin Jr. wasn't trying to imagine why this is tense in the house. It was just this is hard to read, man. Yeah. When Marvin Jr. wasn't trying to protect his mother from his drunk father, he could be found locked in his room, high, drunk, and incoherent. Marvin Gaye Jr., international pop star, Grammy winner, Grammy winner, and uh, I didn't put this in there. One year before his death, Mm -hmm. he finally won a Grammy. So, yeah, pop star, Grammy winner, top of the world, artist should be. Yep. Sex symbol had, like, in a matter of a few years, gone from sellout stadium shows to being a sickly cocaine addict living with his parents. Shut up in his bedroom for hours at a time, watching tape after tape of some pretty serious BDSM porn. Really? Oh, I, mm-hmm. And on Saturday, April 1st, 1984, things finally came to a head. Marvin Sr. was downstairs going through the mail when he convinced himself that an insurance letter had gone missing. Upset, he made his way upstairs to confront Alberta. Alberta was in Marvin's room, trying her best to take care of her sick son. Only four days before, on one of his rare trips outside the gay home, Marvin Jr. had tried to kill himself by jumping out of a car doing 60 miles an hour. Marvin walked away with only bruises, but it had been clear for a while now that he wanted to die. He was done, yeah. Marvin Sr. began to yell at Alberta from outside the bedroom, and his son leapt from the bed and raged and confronted his father outside the door. Marvin Jr. shoved his father and then began to hit him. Alberta, with some effort, broke the fight up and led her son back to bed. Marvin Sr. disappeared down the hall. He returned only a minute later, and this time with a revolver that his own son had given to him as a gift. That's cold. He raised the gun, aimed it at his firstborn son's chest, and pulled the trigger. 
Marvin Gaye Jr. slumped off the bed and landed with a thud on the floor. His father paused, took two slow steps towards his boy, and shot him twice more. Oof. Marvin Jr.'s brother, Frankie, was next door and heard the gunshots. He ran to the house and up the stairs only to find his brother bleeding to death on the floor of his bedroom. Marvin died in Frankie's arms, his last words being, according to Brother Frankie's memoir, quote, I got what I wanted. I couldn't do it myself, so I made him do it, end quote. Marvin Gaye Jr. was laid to rest at Forest Lawn. Forest, Forest oh boy. Yeah, see, taking the emotion out of that. I know. Marvin, <laughs> uh, Marvin Gaye Jr. was laid to rest at Forest Lawn Cemetery on the 6th of April, 1984. He was 45 years old. The line to pay respects was more than two hours long. By wow. the end of the day, more than 10,000 people had filed by his open casket. Marvin's band played at the funeral. And friend Stevie Wonder sang. Marvin Jr. was surrounded one last time by both of his ex-wives, his children, Barry Gordy, and countless friends. His father, on the other hand, failed to make an appearance. Wonder why. After finally divorcing her now murderous husband, Alberta paid, I don't know why, paid for his bond to be released from prison. Why? But by November of that year, he was found guilty of manslaughter. Hmm. For the out-and-out murder of his own son. Yeah, that's murder. Like, Wait for it. Uh, for the out-and-out murder. And I realize anybody who knows anything about Marvin Gaye knows this. But mur- <laughs> yeah, for the murder of his own son, Marvin Gaye Sr. was sentenced to only five years of probation. What? He went on to live to the ripe old age of 84. Wow. Dying of pneumonia in 1998. And I hope every fucking... I know. Yeah, and I hope wow. every day was an agony for him. I wrote that down. Yeah. Same year. Him and Rooster. Yep. Couple of fucking miserable cocksuckers. So yeah, he lived till, yeah, 1998 before he died from pneumonia. And that's, there's so much I didn't put in this. Yeah. Like, that's a wild, I'm sure there was absolutely atrocious shit that you didn't say. Like, Like, well, I mean, like the whole, like, I I wanted to talk more about like his relationship with Janice, who he had mm-hmm. two kids with. Like, he had a lot of shit that fucked him up. Yeah. He was so embarrassed about dating and then eventually marrying a 16-year-old. They moved to a cabin in Topeka out in the woods, and he pretty much hid her there. He was happy. That's all he wanted. Yeah. She had a couple miscarriages. Like, but people didn't like him there. He got great Danes to, like, watch the house, but people would come and they Fucking cut the dog's throats in the night. Wow. Yeah, threats. They finally like came locals back. locals or? Supposedly locals. No. Um, like, there's just, there is just so much stuff. Like, he started losing it toward the end. There, like, some of the songs he started writing when he was, like. Fucked up. With that last year. Yeah. Like, really fucking gaudy songs. Uh, like, I had lyrics wrote down. I don't have them with me. We don't have time. For, like, he wrote a song called Sanctified Pussy. <laughs> and it is just, like. Wow. It is just about. Any hole he wanted, and that was the whole song. But he said it was a religious song. It was very strange. Yeah, that's, yeah. But, like, the BDSM thing got so bad that he used to, he would beg both of his wives to have extramarital affairs, do it, and then he would turn around and be mad at them because he wanted to suffer. Like, he was a really, really just. Cucked right up. Yeah. Yeah. He had a lot of mental issues. Yeah, that's, that's too bad. But uh, oh, I can see getting raised like that. It's no dear. It's very similar to what I talked about. Like, yeah. And like, what if, you're, can, if you're around that, 
Which it's is probably going to get ingrained at some point. Because he got it in his head that, like, the only reason, the only way he was going to write good music and be an artist was to suffer. And, like, what makes me think, obviously, the guy had a talent as a kid. Oh, yeah. So, like, what if his dad just hadn't been a pile of shit and had supported his son? Because, like, there's quotes from family members who said, like, he came out, his dad, when Marvin was a child, mm -hmm. and said he didn't like him. Wanted nothing to do Flat with him. Flat out, yeah. And the thing that drove me the most nuts was uh, reading about the, so, like, the autopsy report. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, um, the judge who sentenced Senior to five months of probation or five years of probation, yeah, misread the autopsy report. He read somehow that Marvin Jr. had PCP in his system, which would lead, which would be be more likely to have violent outbursts. Uh -huh. And there were some bruises on Marvin Senior. The fucking report read that there was no PCP present, so he sentenced him to five years of probation. Learned about that afterward mm -hmm. and didn't revoke anything. Really? Yeah. Jesus. Fucking nuts. What a what, that that's too bad. That's a wacky story. But that's all I got. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I you know, I had never I thought for some reason I I don't know why I was thinking that you got into the Sinatras. No, but it's um like they you you alluded to like, oh, he's a very famous person, very famous singer. And uh, I and I thought that there was some wacky shit with them. They but. talked about Sinatra's a little bit. Uh, Frank Sinatra was like a fucking hero to Marvin Gaye. Oh, because okay. he's growing up as like a young black kid, and yeah. like he wanted to be a swooner. You know, like yeah, that's yeah. what he wanted to yeah. do. And like whenever he put put out these pop albums, he'd feel bad about it, and then he'd go back and do like kind of an artsy thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, huge Frank Sinatra fan. Oh, okay. But yeah. No, I don't know a whole lot about Frank's. Yeah, I either did I. For some reason I that I thought you were gonna go into that, which I don't know how his life was. I don't know if it was good or bad. Man, but... I learned so much shit. I don't huh, I didn't never would have given that a fuck a about good, listening to yeah, Marvin Gaye. That was good. I mean, it was horrible, yeah. but it was good. It was it was well done. Nice story. And that just goes to show that the whole your environment, you know, your mental state, there's a lot of aspects that go into being a good or bad dad. And, and it, if you can let go of that. Yeah. That's one of the things that the Ashley Bogle, the one who went to college, her dad even said, he said, he was I think he was talking to his wife, said, we're going to raise her different. She is going to be different. She is going to break the mold. And they did. They He actively knew. I want to say it was one of his youngest, one of Rooster's youngest sons. So he had seen all of it and was like, man. This is fucked We're not going to yeah. get one of them out. Yep, and that was it. That was the goal, and I hope they all keep doing better. But, man, just the growing up in that is fucking insane. So, so yeah, to everyone who has, you know, the worst dad in the world. Now, I will say there is people who have really bad relationships and they get past with their dads. It. Or, you know, there's, you know, no dads or things like that. There's some real issues with fathers. But to those of you who have a father who actually does care about you, tell him taking thank him you. for granted. Yeah, tell hope him you had a good him. Yeah, I hope you had a good Father's Day with him. Because yeah, there's so. some like that's what drove me the most. Like you do see some people mm -hmm. who can have a bad father, and then like, but they can still get past it. Yeah, and like this, like especially with Marvin Gaye, like he was, he got more and more paranoid about these people. But he was mm -hmm. surrounded by, like he stopped trusting everybody at Motown, even though everybody told him like. They're here for you. They're just yeah, yeah. They surrounded help by you. good people, but mm -hmm. just couldn't let go of that 
fucking piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, that's it's traumatic, obviously. Well, yeah, I mean, paranoia. Uh, yeah, if your dad's walking down the hall, he's going to kick the fuck out of you someday. At some point, you don't know. He's going to live with you for the rest of your yeah. life. It's like something horrible going to happen at some point. It's like, just sad. Damn. So, yeah. yeah, if you get a good dad. That book was what? Um, Divided Soul. Divided Soul. Okay. It was actually, it was written like a year or so after his death. It was a friend of his, David Ritz. It came out in like 1985. Oh, okay. But it was really good. I enjoyed it a lot. Cool. So cool. that's all I, that's all I got. I don't like have any, I don't have anything uplifting at the end really, I guess, other than like, go give your dad a hug, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate Like I said, don't take it for granted. Boy, I left a lot of shit out of there. I had this whole thing that I was going to open with about, like, Stevie Wonder and, uh, oh, God, who's the other guy? Ray Charles. And I'm not really that impressed with blind singers because they use sonar to get around, so they're naturally better singers than everybody else. <laughs> what are else. they, bats? I don't know anything about it. I know very little about being blind. I just assume uh. that blind people have an advantage over people who don't when it comes to singing. I, I would say, <laughs> not to diminish Stevie no, Wonder. No, no, there's a lot of there's a lot of proof to people who have one less sense than the others that the other ones excel because they have to. They make up for it. Yeah, like I'm not good at math, so that's why I speak so well. Sure, right? It's not a sense. You know, speaking, touch, smell, touch, smell, hearing, speaking, hearing. Yeah, math. No, math is not in there. Quit touch, throwing math in there. Touch, smell. Math, hearing. <laughs> what is the other one? I know there's five uh, of them because the sixth sense that kid had an extra one. Yeah, the, the, the sight, smell. Either way. Yeah. So anyway, one of them is usually better. So if they are blind, they probably are better at music and listening to sounds. So there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was it. That was the main episode. Uh, dads, bad dads, Father's Day. I don't know what we're calling it yet, but bad it dads. involves dads. So, all right. I think we're going to finish it out here. want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, again, please leave us a rating on Spotify or Apple. Uh, give us a follow over on Instagram at TS Podcast Official. You can, uh, let's see, buy a shirt if you want one. Hurry up and get one because they're not going to be around forever at Studio4East.com. And then, uh, let's see, send us your questions to ToughShitThePodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, thank you, especially to our anchor supporters and our regular listeners. We really do appreciate everyone and looking look forward to bringing you longer, better content in the future. Is so, that it? That's all I had. Do you got anything to yeah, lock us if out? Yeah, if you get money left over after you uh, buy a T-shirt, do yourself a favor. Go mm-hmm. buy a Marvin Gaye album, get a mm-hmm. cup of miso soup, and oh, just sit and listen God. to that and... Surf no. that down. Why don't, why don't you take the extra money and go buy a nice gift or take your dad out oh, for a nice Oh, there you go. Meal. Buy your dad a Marvin Gaye album and yeah. get him a bowl of miso soup. Throw it right in his face. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you wretched fuck. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. that that's not very nice. <laughs> buy, your dad, buy your dad some Frisbees and yeah. go Frisbee golf. Get some ice cream or something nice. So, yeah. All right, so that's it. Thank you, guys. We will see you again on the next one. Uh, be next, next month. Next month in July. So, yeah, we'll catch you later. You wait, see? you say wait, wait. Do I say it first? And then you, you say, say bye, bye for now? everybody, and I say bye. All for right, now. Wait, all right, it's late. Not, I know. Bye for now. Wait, yeah. no, you do that. I Hang do on, bye for now. It. Let me wait. Wait. Let me do it more. Okay. Tough wait. shit. The podcast bye, every- after dark, where bye. we fall apart. Bye, bye, bye everybody. <laughs> Thanks. Bye for now. <laughs>